Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hope everyone's well this morning. How you guys doing okay? Okay. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I'm doing well. Good to have you all with us today on this beautiful day. I've been thankful over the last couple of days. I don't know why I like to make comments about the weather, but when you get a break from that heat for a couple of days, it just feels good. The other night I was out uh, taking our dog for a little walk, and it's like, you know that, that temperature change where you can tell that falls on the way? You know what I'm talking about? A little bit cooler. Everything's a little bit cooler. There's a little water on the grass. Love that. It feels really good. Uh, on the flip side of that, I can't believe that we're already nearing September of 2020, and this has been like the best year ever, don't you think? <laughs> right? Or maybe I should reword that. This will be the year no one will ever forget. Amen to that, right? That's true. 2020, the year no one will ever forget. You know, I I say this tongue in cheek, but I remember, you know, coming into this year, uh, listening to different messages and pastors that were talking about their vision for 2020. And, you know, God wants to refine our vision in 2020, and we're going to see more clearly in 2020. Maybe some of you heard people say like that, things like that. And, you know, if we take a step back and we think about all the things that have been happening in our country and in our world over the last five or six months, it has been a great opportunity for us to see God more clearly. So what we think we mean sometimes is something exactly the opposite, but God still actually does what we think. He just does it in a very different way. Does that make sense? So let's keep our eyes, our spiritual eyes open, and let's open our hearts to what God wants to do in our lives each and every day. Uh, just a greeting to all of you this morning. I know we have a good crew of people here. We have people that are continually watching online and being a part of us online. I want to thank you for all joining us today. And I want to encourage you uh, to follow along this morning as we're going to continue our You Asked For It series. Um, Last week, I took a little bit of time and I asked a question that I've heard so many people ask over the years, and that is, uh, why do I go to church? Or, you know, basically, why does the church gather? And if you didn't listen to that message, I want to encourage you. I don't usually promote my own messages. I don't like to do that, but I think you need to listen to that next week. Uh, I'm sorry, this week from last week. I think it's important to listen to that one because it is so foundationally important for us to understand as the church that we are gathering as the church that we are spurring one another on. Or as I said, the word spur means to incite to riot, that we incite each other and riot each other towards what? Love, love of each other and to good deeds. Why? Because it's the way that we love one another. It's the way that we prefer others over ourselves. It's the way we serve one another that really is proof to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. You with me? So if you haven't watched it, please pay attention. Please watch it. This week, we are turning the corner, and I gave a little hint last week that we were going to be talking about this topic this week. But today's You Asked For It topic is a big question. It's a big topic, and I've heard people talk about for many years, myself included. And the question is this. Why would a loving God send someone to hell? Why would a loving God send someone to hell? I wonder, and I'm going to ask you if you're here this morning, how many of you have either thought that question or have heard someone ask you that very question? Why would a loving God send someone to hell? You're talking about Christianity. You're talking about having a relationship with Jesus. And one of the first things, and I've had people in my life approach this, and I've talked to them about Christianity, and one of the first questions I hear people ask me is this very question. If God is so good, sometimes they ask it in different ways. They say, if God is so good, if God is so loving, if God is so kind, if God is so whatever, why would he send anyone to hell? Why would he do that? What's the answer to that? What do you tell people in that situation? It's such a common question. I've heard people ask it in many different ways, but I want to to, uh, deconstruct that a little bit this morning and talk about 
why this matters. Because I think for most people, when that question is asked, we have a lot of assumptions behind the question. Let me explain. The question isn't asked when we are thinking about people that we believe are evil. There are people in this world that I don't think we would wrestle, that question, we wrestle with that question. Why would a loving God send Adolf Hitler to hell? Right? How many of us would say, I don't care if Hitler went to hell? Right? I mean, look what he did. He was evil. He should go to hell. There are people that we have wrestled with in our, or we know in our lives or maybe we've heard of historically that this wouldn't be a problem for us. I had a conversation with a funeral director just a few weeks ago, and he was talking about his different experiences with people, and how he was going through uh, burial um, details with someone whose father passed away, and they didn't have a good relationship, and he told me on the phone, he called this man, and he said, here's what we're going to do with your dad's remains and, your, and his body. You know, Is that okay with you? And on the phone, the man screamed at the top of his lungs, I don't care if that blankety-blankety-blank burns in hell. Do whatever you want to do with him. I don't ever want to see him or anything that's left of him ever again. Clearly, they didn't have a good relationship, and there's a lot of history there. But there are not... It's not a guarantee. What I mean by that is not every individual in this world fits that question. There are people that we think, rightfully so, probably belong in hell. People don't ask that question for those people. I think we ask the question when we think about good people. Our definition of good people. Because if you know anything about Christianity, it speaks to what the result is for unrepentant people. What does the Bible say about unrepentant people, and how does Christianity answer that? So if I'm going to believe Christianity, someone might say something like this, I'm going to believe Christianity, then I have to believe that a loving, caring, compassionate God, because churches talk a lot about that, right? The loving God, the caring God, the compassionate God. If he really is who he says he is, that he sends people to hell who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, even if they've lived a good life. Well, what's your definition of a good life? Well, maybe they're kind-hearted people. Maybe you know people that are generous. Maybe you know people that are upstanding citizens. I've done funerals for people that are good people. They're kind people. People come out to their funerals and they tell you story after story of all the good things these people did because their heart was to care for other people. So if we're really going to believe Christianity, we have to take those people And we have to put them in a category that says, if they have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Christianity says that they are going to hell. That's a hard truth to swallow. That is difficult for many people. And if I can be honest, it's so offensive that it makes a lot of people completely reject Christianity. They want nothing to do with it because they can't wrap their mind around that. So as a result of it, they say it's all wrong. So here's what I want to do this morning before we go into some of the details, okay? I want to encourage you this morning to walk this out with me. You know, sometimes there are people that, you know, join in and they're like, you know, I tune tune in for the worship and then I'm done or I'm just going to listen to the first 10 minutes of the message so I can tell pastor it was good and then I'm going to go do whatever. If you're with us this morning, try to stick with us for the next two hours and we are going to walk this through with you. I'm just kidding. You won't be here for the next two hours. It'll be an hour 45 tops. No, in all seriousness, stick with me on this. But here's what I want to ask you to do, please. Try to approach this topic with humility, and this is why I'm saying that. There's a scripture in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament where God says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, look, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
And he says, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The point that I see when I read this passage is very simple. The point is that the creation, and we are all creation. We are not God. The creation cannot ever fully understand the thoughts and the purposes and the decisions of the creator. It's not possible for us to really understand and comprehend all of what God knows and understand. We are finite, mortal beings that live and serve or are supposed to serve an infinite, immortal God. So it is not possible for us to fully understand. If I can summarize it, I'm just going to say it this way. God is God and you are not. I am not God. God is God. I am never going to understand. There are things I see in the word. There are things that I don't understand. And I scratch my head and I go, really? That doesn't make sense. And I can choose to either wrestle through that and walk through that truth and try to understand what it means, even when I don't understand it. Or I can discard it all and just say, you know what? Because I don't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. And when those things happened, well, it reminds me of when I was a child. You see, when I was a little kid, Anyone older than me, for the most part, knew better than me. When I was really young, I would look up to those that were older than me. I looked up to friends of mine that were a couple of grades older because they went through things that I never went through. I looked up to my sister. She's two and a half years older than me, and I trusted her. Even when she told me to take my bike out in the middle of a snowstorm, basically, and she went inside and had hot chocolate. That's a true story. Foot and a half of snow, and she was watching me inside the house while I was sitting there trying to bring my bike up a hill in the snow. I still trusted her because she was older than me. And I'm not bitter about that. We've made right with that. I trusted my mom and my dad when I was younger. They knew more. In fact, when you're really young, sometimes your parents are like invincible. You know what I'm talking about? Like anything, like, wow, I don't know how to fix that, but dad could fix it. He could fix it. I don't know where we're going. We get into a car. We drive from Long Island to New Jersey. We go through the city. I'm scared as a little kid looking out the window. And I look at my dad. I'm like, Dad, do you know where we're going? And with confidence, he'd say, no, I'm lost. (laughs) True story. And I'd say, he's really lost? He's really lost? And my sister just shake her head. We have confidence in those that are older than us. Why? Because we know that they know more than us. But something changes if we're not careful when we go from youth to adulthood where sometimes we no longer become the student or stay as the student, but we think we are only supposed to teach. And that if, you're, if we're not careful, that we think we are the ultimate arrival, that we have arrived to a place of understanding that surely we know better than these children. Surely we know better than our peers. Surely we know better than God. Think about that. So I want to encourage you this morning to keep your hearts and your minds open. Because we need to be teachable. We need to be humble. We need to let God speak to us and speak through us today. So even things that we think we have understood, we put on the table and just say, God, open our hearts and our minds this morning as we talk about a very difficult but very necessary question this morning. So would you join me? I just want to bow our heads. I want to pray for a moment. And then I want to walk through this with you today. Father, I just come before you today. And I just want to say thank you that we can come and we can worship. Thank you that we can love you. Thank you that you've made a way for us to love you. Lord, as we talk about this question, why would a loving God send someone to hell? May our hearts be open to hear truth in your scripture, in your word. 
Not so it's about our perspective or our opinion, but we would align ourselves to your word. And then as we obey your word, you would draw us to yourself and we would receive peace and we would receive joy and we would receive comfort knowing that you are leading the way. God, we trust you. May our hearts be open to your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So before we talk about the different points I have this morning about hell, I want to simply talk about why we need to understand more about hell. Why is it such a big question and why it matters? Four quick things I want to mention today. Why do we need to understand more about hell? Well, number one, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. If you go through the Gospels and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about love. He talked about hell. He talked about heaven. But he's talked about hell anywhere from two to four times more than he talked about heaven, depending on how you look at it. So it was more of a priority for Jesus to talk about than it even was to talk about heaven. We need to talk about it if it was that intentional to Jesus. He talked about it so much that if you added up all of the other times the other writers in the New Testament talked about it, there's 27 books in the New Testament, four of them are the Gospels. If you take all of the other books together and add them up, Jesus talked about hell more than all of the other writers talked combined. That's how much he talked about hell. We need to talk about hell because Jesus talked about it. The second reason we need to talk about it is because the more we understand how horrifying, how tragic, how serious hell is, the more appreciative it will make us of the gift of God's salvation. The more we understand the significance of what hell really is. And we don't really talk about it that much in our culture. Think about it. When was the last time at Bridge you've heard a message on hell? I think Pastor Rob talked about it. But generally, we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. And if you, if you scroll through uh, websites and YouTube videos and podcasts and everything, you hear very little talk about hell. And a lot about the love, compassion about God. And I think that's important for us to understand. That we need to understand how horrifying it is. And when we do understand how horrifying it is, we become more appreciative of God's gift of salvation. Now let me just caveat this for a minute. I'm not saying because we have to talk about it more that the purpose in talking about it is that God intends for us to scare people into salvation. Okay, There is a bent of people in this world that think when you preach on hell, literally scare the hell out of someone. That is not the intent, and that's not what the biblical message is. The scriptures are very clear in Romans 2.4 that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. It is God's love for us that draws us to repentance. It's not a fear tactic to scare someone into accepting Jesus but we need to talk about it because its consequence is severe and real. The third reason we need to talk about it is that it compels us, when we understand the significance of hell, it should compel us to stop sinning by following God and obeying his words. The Bible calls following God and obeying his word, fearing the Lord. When people talk about fearing God, it doesn't mean we're afraid of God, like we're paralyzed with fear. When we fear God, we revere God. And when we understand the significance of hell, we are or we should be compelled to fear God, which means we are, should be compelled to follow him so that we don't go to hell. And we should be compelled to obey him so we don't, fear, we don't sin against him and walk further from him as, a, as opposed to closer to him. Proverbs 16.6 says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord... 
evil is avoided. Isn't that cool? What is he saying? The love and faithfulness, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. God's love and his faithfulness towards us, he atones for our sin through his son, which we see in in Jesus in the New Testament. But through the fear of the Lord, by revering God, by following his word, by obeying him, evil is avoided. The fourth reason we want to talk about hell this morning, and I think this is super important for us and an opportunity for us to do some self-examination, is that understanding the significance and the horror of hell should give us a greater passion to share the gospel with other people. As we understand what hell is, who goes to hell, and what their future is, it should compel us to have a greater passion to share the gospel with other people. You see, God's desire is for everyone to come to know him. And to share his love with everyone, he invites us to share it with others. The gospel message through Christ is that he does the work, but he invites us to share the message. Can I tell you honestly, evangelism, what this means is that for followers of Jesus, evangelism is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, we cannot put evangelism on a shelf and say, it's not my spiritual gift. Nonsense. God gives the the mission to the whole church to make disciples of all nations. He gives all of us the opportunity through salvation, and then he compels us through the word to go and share the gospel with others. And and I thought about this a number of years ago as I was working with someone when I was working in corporate, that many years ago I would ask myself that question, why am I okay with being in relationship with people for extended periods of time and not approaching the message of salvation. Not talking about the consequences of living life without God. Not for now, but for eternity. Why am I okay with that? And you know what it came down to for me? A few different things, but one of them was that I didn't have a healthy opinion or view of what hell really was. Because here's what I do know. In the physical, we go above and beyond to save people from ruin. If you don't believe me, go to the supermarkets, go to the stores, go to the schools right now, listen to the news. There's so much effort over the last five or six months to keep people from dying physically. Am I right? This is what we're talking about. Our focus is we can't let people get sick. We can't let people die. We're going to change our whole way of life in this world because we can't let people get sick and die. We're going to wear masks, even if it benefits or doesn't benefit anyone. And I'm not here to talk about all of that today. We'll do that sometime in the future. But today, we're talking about the intentionality. We are so intentional about that. We will rework the way our world is. We will change our economic health. We will allow businesses to collapse across our country because physical health is the most important thing. And statistics don't even confirm some of the things that we're doing. But that's another point. We are so intentional with preserving people in the physical. Are we as intentional with the spiritual? Because what we experience here is temporary. What the Bible shows us is that when people go, when you pass away, your fate is eternal. Are we as compelled to preach the gospel to others, those that God has called us around us, fathers and, and mothers and brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends and family members? Are we compelled to say things, to bring the gospel to those that need to hear the gospel? Or have we lost the trueness? Have we, have we lost the significance of hell? Because we think we always have another day. We think we always have a little bit more time. 
I think that's a huge point and why we need to talk about hell. So today we're going to look at a few questions, or not a questions, a few comments and, and statements about hell. And uh, you may want to take some notes. You may want to just pull it back a little bit later. I'm going to jump around with different scriptures. But there are four main points I want to talk about this morning regarding hell to hopefully give you a greater understanding of what hell really is and what God's word says about hell and how it applies to us. So the first I want to talk about this morning, uh, number one, is that hell is a real place. Hell is a real place, okay? Biblically, when you look at hell, it is a real place. It is not an invention of creative writers or artists. Movies have opinions of hell. Have hell. Uh, authors have opinions of what hell looks like. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. It's not a state of mind or a state of being. The Bible shows us that hell is a real place. It is a final, eternal dwelling place for the devil, for his fallen angels or his servants, and for unrepentant humans. It is a final dwelling place for all of those categories of individuals, for the devil, for his fallen angels, and for unrepentant humans. Now, when you look across Scripture, you see three different words, for the most part, that talk about some form of hell, and I just want to summarize that for you this morning. If you look in the Old Testament, you see a word primarily called Sheol. Some of you have heard that word before. It's a Hebrew word, Sheol, and it refers more to the grave. It refers, refers more to the pit or death. Okay, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word that's, that's the equivalent to that, and it is Hades. So in the Old Testament, maybe you've heard of Sheol. In the New Testament, you hear the word Hades. Both of them mean basically the same thing, but here's what you need to know about that. Yahweh is, God Almighty, is the ruler of Sheol, the ruler of Hades, up until the time of Jesus. This was taught to be the place where all the dead people went. So when you passed away from the earth, you went to the grave. The Jewish people would say you went to Sheol, you went to the grave. And in the grave, there are two different camps of people. There are the righteous and there are the unrighteous. And Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16. We're not going to go there this morning, but there's a story in Luke chapter 16 when he talks about a rich man who passes away and a poor man named Lazarus who passes away. And they both go away, and it says the poor man is brought to Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's bosom, Abraham being the father of the nation of Israel, just a little history lesson in the Old Testament, God used Abraham as the father of the whole nation, and all the nations will be blessed through him. Jesus came through Abraham in the New Testament. But he goes to Abraham's bosom as a resting place, a holding place, which was synonymous with peace or paradise. And this is where the righteous wait after they die. And in the Old Testament, you see the unrighteous go to Sheol, and there's a place where the rich man went to in Sheol. It was a place of torment. It was a, to a place of pain. It was a pit where there was suffering. And in this conversation, you see back and forth, you see a rich man that sees Abraham far away, and Abraham, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the poor man far, far away, and you see the poor man looking at the rich man. And the, poor, the rich man wants a drop of water from the poor man because he's in torment. And Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 16, dividing the righteous from the unrighteous. And that's what you see up until the time of Jesus. Okay, now, now what we see in Scripture is the Scripture says that when Jesus dies on the cross and he says, it is finished, and the tombs open up. The Bible tells us very clearly that he goes and he gives deliverance and frees the captives from Sheol. He frees the captives from Sheol. He doesn't free the unrighteous. He frees the captives. 
the, the righteous, and they are always in the presence of God, but he breaks the power of death, and that's what Jesus does. But these, this place we're talking about is not the final resting place for those who pass away. What we see in Scripture is a third word, Sheol and Hades, and the third word that some of you probably mostly refer to hell is the word Gehenna. When Jesus talks about hell, he talks about the word Gehenna. And Gehenna, okay, Gehenna, just so you know, a little basic history, there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, and it was a ravine near the southern slope of Jerusalem. And this valley was where they had pagan worship historically. They would do pagan worship, even Jewish leaders. They would worship their children to Moloch through fire. They would burn their own kids. It also became a place where they would have um, animal sacrifices, where all of the garbage, the waste, and the refuse of the cities would go, and it was constantly on fire. It was a mess. It was gross. It was painful for people to be there. It was hot. It was not some place you would want to be, a smoldering wasteland. So when Jesus refers to the ultimate destination or what hell really is, he uses the word Gehenna, and everybody would know what he was referring to. The place where the fire never goes out. We understand that in the New Testament as the lake of fire. So you with me so far? There's Sheol and there's Hades, the same place, resting place for the righteous and the unrighteous. God ultimately, through the final judgment, when Jesus returns through the final judgment, will judge those. And if their names are found in the book of life, they are restored with God for eternity with resurrected bodies, a new heaven and a new earth. And for those that are not found in the book of life, we see in scripture, they are sent to the lake of fire. And that is the place of eternal torment and eternal condemnation. So that's just a little bit more background. I want to give you a little bit more of what we see regarding the final place of Gehenna in Revelation chapter 20, 13 through 15. Okay, Revelation 20, 13 through 15. Here's what it says. The sea gave up the dead. This is right at the end at the final judgment. It says the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. You see, there it is. Death, Sheol and Hades gives up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then, verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The grave, the pit, was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So I wanted to give you a few descriptions of what Scripture says and how it defines hell couple things. In Matthew 8, we see hell was described as darkness. And here's a list of you just to look at a few things. Matthew 8, hell is described as darkness. If you look at Matthew 23, 13, hell is described as a place where there is weeping and there is gnashing of teeth. In Mark 9, 43, you can see it referred to a fiery abyss. Matthew 10, 28, it's eternal destruction. And Revelation 20, verse 14, it's called the lake of fire, or as you just heard, the second death. Those are just some examples of what hell actually looks like. And I want you just to pause for a minute and think about what I just said. Who in our right minds would ever want to go to a place like this where there's darkness, there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth. You know what that's like? It's like when someone like one-ups you. And you go, you know what I'm talking about? Like the frustration, like I shouldn't be so. You know, a few years ago when I told the story of somebody, you know, that stole a couple thousand dollars from me, like I gnashed my teeth for like a year. You know, like it shouldn't be. This is injustice. It's not supposed to happen. It is hopelessly the way that it's going to be. It's never going to change. Gnashing of teeth where there's this regret that will never be changed due to hopelessness. Who in their right mind would ever want to go to a place like this? Can I ask an even more direct question? Who in their right mind would want anyone 
to go to a place like that? Who would want their spouses to go there? Who would want their children to go there? Who would want their family members to go there? Who would want anybody to go to a place where there is eternal darkness, weeping, destruction, fire, and the ultimate second death? I can't imagine anybody that would really want someone to go there when you think about what that looks. Because it's not temporal, it is eternal. Hell is a real place, and that's where we're going to start. The second thing I want you to hear this morning is that hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. Okay, sometimes people don't understand this. They think God created heaven, God creates hell, and he just sends people to hell. No, he created hell for the devil and his angels. He didn't create hell for human beings. There's a story that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 where he separates, (coughs) excuse me, he separates the sheep and the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And in the story, he says to the sheep, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. And he says, enter into your rest. And that's what he tells the sheep. You're righteous. You followed my commands. You walked in obedience. You have a eternity of rest. And then he says to the goats, you didn't do any of the things that I asked you to do. You didn't follow me. You chose to worship yourself instead of worshiping me. And then he says, depart from me. Depart from me. In Matthew 25, verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on the left, those are the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's powerful. This is important for us to understand because spiritually what we see in the Bible is that God never created hell for you. He never created hell for me. He created hell for Lucifer. And some of you might say, well, Lucifer, the devil, who is he? Just a little quick history lesson on that again. There were three archangels we see all through through the Bible, okay? There's three archangels, Gabriel, I'm sorry, Lucifer was one of the three. The Bible says that of the three, he was the most beautiful of the three. They said he was in charge of all the music, that he was the main musician and the chief musician of, of the heavenly realms. But in his heart, he desired to be like God. So he rebelled against God and he took a third of all the angels from heaven with him. So he rebels from God and he goes his own way and he does his own thing. God creates hell for Lucifer and the fallen angels. Why? Because they will have an ultimate fate of eternally being separate from God and tormented because of their rebellion. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, not human beings. Billy Graham said this about hell. He said, hell was not prepared for man. God never meant that man would ever go to hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but man rebelled against God and followed the devil. Hell is essentially and basically banishment from the presence of God for deliberately rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's important for you and I to know that God didn't create a place of eternal torment for you and I. It's important for you to know that that was never his character trait. That was never his intention. That was never what it was created for. It was created for the devil and was created for his fallen angels. The third thing I want you to know about hell this morning is that each of us chooses if we go to heaven or hell. We each get to choose if we go to heaven or hell. Each of us chooses, and that doesn't actually is the opposite of the question. Because the question is, why would a loving God send someone to hell? And what we see in Scripture is that God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose to go there, or we choose not to. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And this is so important for us to understand. Those last three words are so powerful. Because when I see those last three words, here's what I'm reminded of. I was not born into goodness. You and I were not born into goodness, guys. The nicest people in the world. The little old lady that I went to her house from the time I was in seventh or eighth grade and I mowed her lawn and she gave me little, you know, little crackers and little drinks after I cut her grass and we sat there and had conversations and she was always gardening and she had little things to give and she always paid a little extra more because she was a nice lady. She was born into sin. I was born into sin. And what those last three words tell us and remind us is that when we are born into sin, we are born into the wrath of God. That doesn't mean that God is angry at us. It means because we are born into sin, we cannot be fully in the presence of God. We already have a death sentence on us from the moment we are born. So when I say we choose whether we go to heaven or we go to hell, probably a more clear way or accurate way of saying that is each of us chooses if we go to heaven or continue to hell. Each of us chooses. Are we going to choose a different path and go towards heaven or are we going to continue on the path to hell? Sometimes people think it's about the work that you do. If I do this, if I do that, that God's going to weigh. No, the, the fate is already sealed. The trial was already done, and we have been found guilty. We have been found in wanting. And what the Bible shows us very clearly is that if we don't have another way out, if we don't follow the way of Christ, our fate has already been sealed. We are on the path of destruction. We are on the path towards hell. And you might be listening to this this morning saying like, man, this is hard. This is difficult. It's truth. It is absolute biblical truth. I would, be, I would be misleading you if I was not speaking this truth from Scripture. It is a hard truth for us to hear. And can I even be more honest about it? Especially in this country. Especially in the United States of America. Because in our country, all of us have a choice. In our country, all of us have a voice. In our country, all of us has freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, to pursue whatever life we want, whatever happiness that we want. Surely, if that's the way it is in our country, God can't be any different. Yet when you look at the governance structures you see in the Bible, when you look at how God governed in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the surrounding cities and the countries that were there, there were not democracies. There were monarchs. There were kings and there were subjects. There were kings and there were subjects. And when Paul writes, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's not saying, if you check off a little box and say, I love Jesus, now I'm going to go live my life. He's saying, no, when you're saying Jesus is Lord, you're saying, he is my king and I am his subject. You hear what I'm saying? This is so important for us to understand today. And in our country, it is upside down backwards. I can say whatever I want to say. I can do whatever I can say. The government's not here for that. I'm not here to talk about the political anything. I'm saying our minds have been polluted where God is trying to teach us, I am your king. Will you follow me as a king? Will you love me as your king? Will you do what I'm asking you? Because if you don't, your path is set for destruction. Do you understand, he says, that you are already headed towards destruction? Jesus said it in such a significant way. He said, very narrow is the gate to salvation or the way to salvation. Few people find it. But wide is the road to destruction. Why? Because so many of us, so many of us choose our way over God's way. 
each of us chooses if we go to heaven or if we go to hell. And that's all rooted in the sinful condition we see in Romans 3.23. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? It means we get what we deserve if we don't follow Christ. And that's a hard truth for me to hear. Because, you know, I don't always want to stand accountable for my decisions and my behaviors. Think about that in our lives. Think about you. Think about our culture and our communities. Do people want to really pay the price for their, for their behaviors? How many people really want to endure the consequences for behaviors that are bad? It's always somebody else's fault. And you know what? If you believe that, that goes all the way back to original sin in the garden. Some of you have heard me say that. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. God said to Adam, don't eat of the tree. God says to Eve, don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that or you will die. And they do it anyway. And he looks at Adam and he says, you did this. What did you do? And Adam goes, she gave it to me. The woman you gave me gave it to me. I'm not taking responsibility for my actions. And then God looks at Eve and says, what did you do? And she goes, the serpent deceived me. It's like, Pass the buck of blame, right? How many people do that in this world? How many times do our kids do that? How many times do I do that? For all of us have fallen short, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to recognize what scripture teaches us is that all of us have to choose either to move towards Christ by following Jesus and entering heaven or we choose to continue the pathway to destruction and hell. This is heavy stuff this morning. But if it's penetrating your heart, I'm really hoping it's penetrating your heart to say, yeah, I need to see the significance of hell. I need to see the consequences for not following God's way, but for following my own. The last point I want to make for you this morning, and this is such an important point. Yes, hell is a real place. Yes, it was created for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. Yes, we choose if we go to heaven or we go to hell. But the fourth point I want you to hear is that God doesn't send us to hell. He wants to save us from hell. This is the message of the gospel. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell, and he doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves. But he made a way for you and I to receive forgiveness, to receive love, to receive a rescue. He made a way for us to receive it. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says this about the Lord. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. You see, he's talking to a group of Christians that are saying, when is God going to return? He's talking to Christians 2,000 years ago that are saying, we said he's going to return. When is he going to come back? Even then they were microwave people. You know what I mean? Like they wanted the result right then. You said he's going to come back. Well, I've been waiting a year. I've been waiting two years. When is it going to happen? And he said, God is not slow. God was not delayed. God didn't get stuck in traffic. He's not slow as we understand slowness. What? He is patient. Look at the motivation. He's patient not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Why does he tarry? Because everyone matters. Every individual matters. Every soul matters to God. You hear what I'm saying? Eyes here. You hear what I'm saying? Everyone matters. That's why he delays. That's why he waits. John three sixteen and 17 says this, For God so loved the world one of the most famous scriptures in all of the Bible. He loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, spiritually die, he's saying, not physically, not spiritually die, perish, 
but will have eternal life. And then many times we overlook the next verse, which I think is just as powerful in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When people think of Jesus, you know what I hear sometimes? Jesus can't be the only way. That's arrogant to think Jesus is the only way. Can I tell you, as an individual, it's arrogant to think you know more than God. It's arrogant for me to think I know more than God. People say, Jesus is the only way. That's exclusive. That's exclusive. How could that be so exclusive? It's not exclusive. It is mutually inclusive, which means the gift of grace is available to you, is available to everyone around us, is available to every color, creed, tribe, race that's ever lived in this world and ever will. The message is the same. And can I tell you, this is the beauty of the grace of God. The beauty of the grace of God is that Christianity doesn't wait for us to be good enough because we can never be good enough. Every other world religion, you look it up, challenge you to look this up. Every other world religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Islam, look them up and you will see there are weights and balances. You must do certain things or you must do certain things. If you do this, or if you do this, God will weigh. And hopefully, if the good outweighs the bad in God's grace, you will make it either to his glory, his presence, or the next level or whatever. Christianity, genuine Christianity, is the only one that says no. Salvation is not based on our works, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace we have been saved. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. You and I have been unmerited favor from God. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. And he offers a gift to you and I. And he says, it's by grace you've been saved. What? Through faith. Through faith. What am I believing in? I'm believing in that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the faith that we have. It has been by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. I love what he says. Why is it not of ourselves? Because I can't boast. Look how good I am, and I'm good enough to be in God's grace. No, he says, all of you are the same. None of you can get to God on your own, but through the grace of God, he made a way through faith in Jesus Christ because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into this world to save the world, to bring the message of hope so that no one around us would have to perish and be eternally separate from God. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to close here as the worship team comes. But I want to ask if you would just take a few moments and make this really personal to you. Talked a lot about what hell was and I talked about some of the details and I talked about salvation and I talked about decisions. Can I just ask you to revisit the first three things I said this morning? Why is it important for us to talk about hell? Because the more we understand the significance of hell, the more we appreciate God's gift of salvation to us. The more I understand the separation that would have occurred, the more I appreciate God's gift of salvation. Can I tell you how important it is for me to understand? The more I understand the cost that was paid for a gift, the more I appreciate the gift. You with me? People give gifts But there are people that give gifts and then there are people that give gifts at an extreme cost. And God gave us a gift that cost him everything. It cost him his son. We could say it doesn't really make sense. Again, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't understand why God does some of the things that he does. I don't understand why it is the way that it is in certain ways. I don't really understand the holiness of God. 
What I do know is that he knew the way to draw us back to him was for him to pay the ultimate sacrifice as his son died for your sin and for mine. Do do you appreciate the gift of God's salvation this morning? The second thing I said was that understanding the significance of hell should compel you to true repentance. True repentance. True repentance does not mean that we are going to live sinless lives, okay? The apostle Paul called himself a sinner when he was arrested by God in Acts chapter 9, and God got a hold of his life. But when he was dying at the end of his life and he wrote his last epistle, he called himself the chief of sinners. It wasn't that he walked an ongoing life of sinfulness, He just recognized that he could never fully escape the power of sin in this world. But true repentance means enough is enough. I keep my eyes on Jesus and I stop looking back. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if you really are repentant, yes, you may stumble and you may fall. But your heart of repentance is to do whatever you can to move forward. When he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. When he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What is he saying? When you're truly walking in relationship with Christ and you're receiving the gift of salvation, you don't sin so that grace can increase, as Paul says in Romans 6. Grace will cover your sin, but it is not not a green light for you to continue to sin. We're supposed to walk away from sinfulness. We're supposed to put things in place to stop us from sinning. If my eye causes me to sin, he says, get rid of it. If my phone causes me to sin, he would say today, get rid of it. He would say, if listening to all this nonsense on the news causes me great fear that paralyzes me so that I can't walk in the power of the spirit, shut it off. That's what he would say in this world today. You hear what I'm saying? This is so important. Don't just keep absorbing all the stuff around us and go, I just don't know why I can't stop sinning. Because if Jesus made a way for us, which he did, he compels us to fear the Lord. And what is fearing the Lord? To follow God and obey his word. And anything that keeps us from doing that, we need to get rid of so that we can walk in humility. We can walk in purity. And can I tell you, you might think that you're good today. You might think you're doing all right. But here's the beauty of God's holiness. We'll never fully understand God's holiness But what we can't understand is every step we get closer to him, the more we look like his son and the less we look like the world. You walk into a paint store this week and you pull a white sample off the shelf and you say, that's white. Until you pull the sample off the shelf next to it and you say, wait a minute, that's white. And then you pull the sample off next to it and go, that's white. And the first one that you thought looked pure doesn't look pure at all. That's what it looks like as we get closer to Jesus. And we'll never get to full holiness. But he compels us to move closer to him so we can be more like him, be filled with his spirit, and share his love for the world. The last piece was about being compelled. As we understand the depths of hell is to be compelled to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. Do a personal inventory today of your life and ask yourself, are you compelled to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? Do you... Do you cower at doing it because you lack the courage? Are you afraid that people will condemn you or judge you? Do you think that you'll be categorized as a judgmental person who is narrow-minded? Whatever it is that keeps you from doing it, can I tell you, if eternity is at stake for everyone around us, 
Why should any of those things matter? Think about it. Why should any of those things matter? If your loved one was sitting next to you and you know when they walked out of the door today, they would get hit by a car. You would do everything in your power to stop them from being hit by that car. But spiritually speaking, we let people walk down the wide road to destruction because we don't want them to think we're strange or weird or we think we lack the courage. But can I tell you, the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. And if you lack the boldness and you lack the courage to speak, and you don't have to go to them with clenched fists, I don't believe that's really the way. Even the New Testament writers didn't walk around pounding their fists saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. He said, and they pleaded with people to say, turn and repent from your sins because there is a way that God has made for you and I to know him fully and to be in relationship with him. And they did it from a motivation of love, not a motivation of condemnation and judgment. Are you compelled this morning? Can I speak to those this morning that are listening to this and have never given their lives to Christ? Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you don't know what to do with this. I know we're going over a few extra minutes, but this is so important. If you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you're not even sure if all this is real, here's my message to you today. There's a passage in Romans chapter 1 from 18 to 20, verses 18 to 20, and Paul summarizes this. He says, this is what we need to know about God and his attributes. He says, the attributes of God, the things that we can know about God, his eternal power, his divine nature, all the things about God, the big picture things to know God is here, God is real, God wants to connect with you, they're evident all around us. What is he saying? Just look around us. And what he's really saying beyond that is he's saying, call out to God because all of creation testifies to his existence. He says, but men suppress the truth because at some point men feel that they are God and God is not. So because they suppress the truth, they become the one. They become the one that defines truth. They choose their way. They do their things. Whether they're pure or not, they're impure. They do impure things. We practice impure practices. And because they willingly choose their way over God's way, God lets them go. He's never going to force you to choose him. But he gives an invitation for all of you. So what I'm saying to you this morning is that if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never followed him as your Lord and Savior, the message of the gospel is that he is wanting to speak to you. He is looking to speak to you. What about the person that never even heard the message of Jesus? Can I tell you? All around, those who hunger and thirst for God will find God. Why did God pick Abraham? Because Abraham was a righteous man who wanted to know God. And there was no Jesus in the picture. But he picked Abraham because he was a righteous man. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me, God says, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you're looking for God, he's already looking for you. He's looking for you. All you need to do is walk it out and watch what he does because he already did it on the cross and that's what we're gonna be thankful for. Would you stand with me this morning? I asked the team to sing this song, Hallelujah for the Cross. Because it summarizes to me what I think the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says this, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescued you and he rescued me all through the power of the cross. Father, I pray as we sing this morning, we would be reminded of that truth today and that you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray.